Hey guys, it's Derek from Disruptor. This is my podcast. As you know, I read articles that I've previously written, some cases that I haven't published yet. And today is a little bit more special than that. I'm going to read you almost a testimony, if you will. And I wrote this as a talk for a conference called Recovery Rocks. And really it was a conference that occurred really during the height of the pandemic. But it was one of those sort of dips where things started to look up and we had this sense of optimism where we thought it was going to be over only for it to pick back up and be even stronger than it was. So I changed up the article a little bit. This is very personal, but as the start of Mental Health Awareness Month, I felt like it was something that I really wanted to share. So this article in particular is called Quitting the Booze Was the Easy Part and I chose an image of myself, actually from my Disruptor promo video, um, not promo video, newsletter promo, excuse me. And over the top of it, I wrote the words, I don't drink anymore, but I'm so drunk right now. So I hope this is something that can inspire you or motivate you, or maybe it's something that you can share with someone. So here we go. Mr. Whitaker, I drank the vodka bottles. I drank the vodka bottles on the plane. Captain Whitaker on the three nights before the accident. October 10th, 11th, October 12th, 13th, and 14th, I was intoxicated. I drank all of those days. I drank in excess. On the morning of the accident, I was drunk. I'm drunk now. I'm drunk right now. Because I'm an alcoholic. Those lines are from the movie Flight, and Captain Whitaker is played by Denzel Washington. If you haven't watched the movie, that was a bit of a spoiler alert. It is fairly old. So, on March 13th, 2014, this is a, an excerpt from a letter to my wife, five days removed from my last drink ever. I just got off the phone with Mark, the pastor that married us, and I had to lock the door to my office and turn on music so no one would hear me sobbing. Amazingly, I can have a conversation with someone who can hear the awfulness of what I'm telling them about myself, only for them to pray for me right on the phone. In all my life, I have never felt I needed to feel forgiven or that I wasn't alone. But right there, at that moment, I felt different. After we prayed, Mark asked me for a favor, which was unusual. He asked me, that I do not take it so hard on myself, reminding me that we're all human beings, that we've all made mistakes, and whether or not this happens again, we will always make them. For just a moment, I felt this sigh of relief. For the first time in five days, I don't need to know all the answers. I don't need to control every situation. I just need to have faith. I know I may never need I know I may need forever to gain your forgiveness, but I don't want it until I've earned it. But today was a good day because I felt God's forgiveness. And since I have no idea how I will ever forgive myself, that felt a little surreal. Just when I thought I couldn't cry another tear, that's when the rain came. So before God, I have to confess that I have never loved you as much as I love you now. Regardless of whatever happens to us, I will never forget about what I did to make me realize it. 
When you have to ask God's forgiveness first, your mistakes are far more severe than they've ever been before. I told your brother this morning, I told your parents last night, and I told our pastor Mark today, my path is getting more apparent, and that path is leading me to a church on Mondays for a program called Celebrate Recovery. I don't have all the answers, but I promise you that I won't lie to you and tell you that it'll never happen again, that I won't do something wrong. Still, I will always do my best to be the man you want in your life, a man who deserves you, a role model, a friend, a father for our kids, and someone who will never put you in a situation like you experienced on Sunday. I read this quote yesterday that has stuck with me, and I thought it was great and pretty relative to the situation. It read, start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. So today I tell you that I am an alcoholic and I will start where I am and I will use what I have and I will do what I can. I know if I just focus on that, I can fix this. I can be the man I know I am and not the man I'm afraid I can be. The last craft beer I drank that I remember was called Live a Rich Life. I'll never forget what that truly means now. I love you more than I can show you and the kids right now, but my definition of living richly, wow, it has forever changed. That was eight years ago. Eight years ago, I really believed that I was an alcoholic. I mean, why wouldn't I? Five days earlier, I got so drunk and blacked out for the last time in my life. I really thought the booze was the problem, but now I know it was just gasoline on the fire. Recovery is a special place. It's special because of those that have taken on recovery and have worked the steps. And all of us have something in common. They all know it's not easy, that it never goes as planned, but most of all, it's messy. Eight years ago, I found Celebrate Recovery. Eight years ago was the last time I had a drop to drink. Eight years ago, I started discovering the true definition of that word, drunk. This is probably the moment I'm supposed to introduce myself or I could say something that provides you with some sort of credibility. Right, most of you know me if you've listened to my podcast. But what you might not know is the truth is, is that I'm so angry. I'm broken. And I need Jesus just as much today as I needed him back in 2014 when I was certain Amy, my wife, was going to leave me. I'm still waiting, him, waiting for him to roll out the next chapter of his plan for my life. And maybe that's why you're listening to this. Or maybe you're in a similar situation. You're waiting on his plan, desperately wanting to know what it is. Take solace knowing that at least he has one. So here's another spoiler alert. I'm drunk. I'm drunk right now. But what does being drunk even mean? I mean, how do you define it? I know what I used to think it meant. I can guess what you think, but I'm not so sure anymore. Back in those early years of recovery, struggling, struggling with alcohol was much easier to focus on. And as I say that, please don't take that the wrong way. Some genuine people severely battle with alcoholism, and by no means am I downgrading addiction. 
I mean, after all, I am an addict. I have an addictive personality, but please allow me to explain this the only way I know. Through a movie reference. How many of you watched the movie Shawshank Redemption? I mean, come on. You've watched this movie. Do you remember Brooks Hatlin? When Brooksy was finally released from prison after serving nearly his entire life behind bars, he was so afraid of the unknown, he talked about Robin the grocery store he was working at so they would send him back to Shawshank. As I said, if you've ever seen the movie, you know who Brooks is and what happened to his character. But the point I'm making is once I figured out how to stop drinking, I was afraid, like Brooksy, of dealing with what comes next. Well, by the way, I looked it up. Shawshank Redemption is on TNT every Saturday afternoon for eternity. So, if you haven't seen it, I mean, come on. It's a great movie. So, how do you define drunk? Well, here's my version. It was probably 1998, and I thought my high school girlfriend was cheating on me. So, I kicked a dent in my car and knocked out the headlight at a party. Turns out, I was just drunk. In 2000, I moved to Indiana from Minnesota to play soccer. And things didn't go as planned, so I got really drunk. In 2002, I got arrested for drinking and driving. The cops told me I was drunk. In 2003, I thought some guy was hitting on my fiance at the bar, so I punched him and fought his crew in the street. He actually wasn't hitting on her. I was just drunk. In 2004, I blacked out on a romantic weekend away with my fiance again. I was super drunk. In 2005, on my wedding night, I didn't drink anything, so I wouldn't be drunk. In 2006, drunk. In 2007, we went to Summerfest in Milwaukee to see a few concerts. Summerfest is awesome, by the way. I threw up in the bathroom at the venue. Turns out, I was really drunk. From 2008 to 2013, I discovered craft beer and found a new kind of drunk. And finally, on March 8, 2014, I got so drunk at a Euchre tournament that I came home angry and I trashed our entire house. The best part is that I couldn't remember a single thing because I blacked out. Only this time, my wife was likely going to leave me. By the way, the next day, March 9th, was my birthday. And that's what drunk used to mean to me, but not anymore. It's morphed into something completely different. And this is the reason that I'm reading you this today. It's anger. It's anxiety. It's depression. It's now the stability of my mental health and all those things I feed it with. It's the state of our economy. It's our political landscape. It's people assuming I think the same way they do. Maybe it's gas prices or taking a vaccine. It's the way I feel about hearing our leaders talk to our country. I mean, we're not even through politics yet, and I'm already hammered. It's a Facebook debate. It's racial injustice. It's critical race theory. Or it's Will Smith defending his wife. It's a teenage drama. It's my reaction to a mess the kids left behind. It's running from practice to the grocery store to, oh, my mower broke down. Or it's sex, but we can't talk about sex. Maybe it's resentment because my father died. Maybe it's cancel culture. Maybe it's gun violence or the war in Ukraine. It's Tucker Carlson and Bill Maher. 
It could be the way we treat each other. Or I got too competitive on the basketball court. It's too much to do and not enough time. It's the constant fear of missing out. It's suffering a panic attack. I'm so drunk right now. It's everything. It's all the above. It's messy. It's raw. And it's the true journey of recovery. Because recovery isn't PG-13. Recovery is rated R. I really didn't want to give you a testimony. What I really want to do is preach. I don't want to get into the details of my story all the time. I've mentioned or told my story so many times it feels like a pop song. You can't believe it's still on the radio after a year. Because this isn't a story about my glory and my success. It's about his. But in this setting, I have to give you some context. It's critical for what I'm about to share with you. You ready? Everything good in my life directly reflects God's grace. Everything, because I don't deserve it. And yet, he always provides. Bob Goff said this week that grace never seems fair until you need a little. Wow. Recovery, it's about one thing. So remember this. It's about hope. Even after I married my wife, I held this resentment towards living here. I live in Indiana. I hated it so much. I never got to see my teams play. The Vikings, Timberwolves, Wild, Gophers, Twins, you name it. I never went fishing. And I haven't talked to my childhood best friend since 2013. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times I shouted at God for bringing me here. Why did you do this to me? And sometime in early April of 2014, after barely communicating with my wife and the uncertainty of our marriage looming, I received this message from her. I love you. I know you are the man for me in my heart, and I would do anything for us. We support you fully and want you to know you're a great father and husband. I never promised I was going to quit this time. And trust me, I promised I was going to quit in the past. The only thing I did differently was surrender. I once heard someone say that God can't be explained, otherwise he would just be a really cool guy. This was something I couldn't explain. After a month of recovery, just one month, there I was, a sign of hope. For years I was resentful for living here, resentful to God and bitter towards my wife. This wasn't my plan, you know. It's true. You know, if you want to make God laugh, if you really want to make God laugh, you should tell him about your plans. <laughs> because God used my wife to bring me closer to him. And all this time, I thought I was moving to Indiana to play in the MLS. Most of you are probably saying, we'll see MLS. Later on, I led our celebrate recovery at the chapel, which is the church I go to for a couple of years. The amount of hope I got in the form of ROI was enough to keep me going for a lifetime. I mean, it's been eight years. I met people who literally died of an overdose. I've sat with fathers who have saved their child's life by injecting them with Narcan. I've had friends who went to prison, friends who suffered from abuse. I've met people who have struggled with porn addictions, who have had affairs, 
who went through awful divorces. I've met people who have literally been involved in serious crimes, who've dealt drugs, who've been involved in gang violence, who have failed suicide attempts, who have suicided. All of them, all of them have been witnesses to the light. I mean, every single one of them has the same perspective now as I do. We all share one single thing in common. Hope. These people are hope dealers. You've heard me say it before, standing on the corner straight slanging hope. Hey man, you need a hit? You want some of this here? Hope. Hope that we will be rescued. Hope that we will be renewed. Hope that we will be reassured. Hope that we will be reunited. Hope that we will be restored. Hope that he will return. Hope, my man. We've got an unlimited supply from our maker. This is what I meant when I said I wanted to preach. Hope is the one thing I want to talk about constantly because anyone that's known recovery believes in it. Wherever you find a recovery program, you're always going to find it. I'm filled with it. I've witnessed God work too many miracles in my life and others who do not have it. Andy Dufresne from Shawshank again once said, Hope's a good thing, maybe even the best of things. But I like the one from Hebrews better. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. When I first started recovery, until I stepped down from leading the program, I would either ask myself or be asked the question, is there a testimony tonight at Celebrate Recovery? And if so, do you know what the topic is? I always had to chuckle because I knew the answer would be the difference on whether someone might come to listen or just stay home that night. If it's another person who struggles with pride or anxiety, I'm just, I just can't go because it's impossible to relate. My reaction is, just sit down and listen, bud. After a few years, those testimonies, the ones about pride and anxiety, those are the ones that get me. Because I know those testimonies, they're likely the third, fourth, or even fifth iterations if you've ever taken a hit of hope, pay attention. These are the stories that are filled with it. Those stories of struggling with pride, mental health, codependence. They're, they're not always the reason someone walks through the door of a recovery program. As the ministry leader, I would often respond, I'll see you there. For those of you who are starting recovery or know somebody who's starting recovery or supporting someone in recovery, or you're well into your own recovery journey, I want to encourage you to tell your story more. Be open about it. Be vulnerable and watch how God works in your life. The same way God used my wife, Amy, to bring me closer to him, he will use you. Have you ever been used before? I mean, being used sucks. It sucks when you're being used, but not when it's God using you. If you're looking for a sign of how God will use you, take a look around the people that you love. In the middle of a pandemic, in the heart of civil unrest, and in a world that needs Jesus more than anything, sometimes the only way I know how to show someone is by slinging hope. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to share your story. And I'm not talking about putting your story on Facebook like I do 
I'm talking about sharing your story with the ones you love. I can't tell you how many times I've been contacted by someone who has a son, a daughter, a friend, a wife, or husband they want me to talk to. I'm happy to do it. But you need to do it. And I know you've tried. But you need to go with them. You need to work on you the same way they need to work on themselves. Every single time you tell your story, without fail, this is exactly what's going to happen. The room's going to clear out. People are going to leave. And then you're going to spot them out of nowhere. It's that one person waiting, waiting for a sign from God to come clean. And when they approach you, it's going to sound a lot like this. Hey, can I talk to you? What you said tonight is something I can relate to. And what it will feel like. Make no mistake. It's hope. There's one line I purposely left out of the exchange between Captain Whitaker and the hearing board. You know from the movie I quoted at the beginning of this article? Just before he confesses his alcoholism to a group of his peers facing certain judgment, Captain Whitaker, Denzel Washington, says these three words. And he chokes up a little bit. God help me. Peter. You know Peter? Come on guys, you know Peter. Peter once said something similar as he stepped out of the boat to approach Jesus on the water. Lord, save me. If you know that story, you know that as soon as, Pe as Peter began to sink, as soon as he began to sink, Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and catches him. And he says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Thanks for listening, guys. Like I said, my name is Derek. I run a brand engagement agency called Disruptor. It's centered around doing things differently without holding anything back. I mean, obviously. This testimony, if you want to call it that, has nothing to do with Disruptor and at the same time, everything to do with it. Vulnerability is a choice. I choose it for one reason, and that is to connect with people who struggle and more importantly, to let them know it's finally okay to not be okay. If you need someone to talk to, please know you are not alone. I also serve on the board of an organization called Remedy Live. It's a Christ-centered organization, and they connect people in need to the system of care by asking one simple question. How are you? If you want to get involved or want to speak to somebody anonymously, chat, excuse me, text 494949 to speak to someone who can help you right now.